you would open your Bibles to the book of Genesis, we are in chapter 14. Genesis 14, this is God's word. At this time, Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Alasser, Kedar Loram, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goyim, went to war against Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shanab, king of Adma, Shemeber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zor. All these latter kings joined forces in the valley of Sidim, the Salt Sea. For 12 years, they had been subject to Kedar Laomer, but in the 13th year, they rebelled. In the 14th year, Kedar Laomer and the kings allied with him went out and defeated the Raphaites in Ashtoreth uh, Karnaim, the Zuzites in Ham, the Emites in Shava Kiriathaim, and the Horites in the hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran, near the desert. Then they turned back and went to Enmishpat, that is Kadesh, and they conquered the whole territory of the Amalekites, as well as the Amorites, who were living in Hazazon Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zor, marched out and drew up their battle lines in the valley of Sidim against Kedar Laomer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goyim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Alasser, four kings against five. Now the valley of Sidim was full of tar pits, and when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell into them, and the rest fled to the hills. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, and they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions, since he was living in Sodom. One who had escaped came and reported this to Abram the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Aner, all of whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions, together with the women and the other people. After Abram returned from defeating Kedar Laomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheba, that is, the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the thong of a sandal. 
so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me, to Aner, Eshcol, and Mamre. Let them have their share. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. We said previously that uh, Lot's response to Abram's generous offer, you choose which area you want and I'll take whatever you don't choose. Lot's response to that generous offer was, the scripture makes very clear, selfish and it will turn out ill-fated because he chose what looked good but in the end it wasn't good. And even while he lived there before destruction came on Sodom and Gomorrah, um, he was grieved continually by the horrible sin in that place. Now Abram is living over here. He's doing his thing and prospering. Lot's living over there, and he's prosperous, but he's surrounded by evil. And... um, Neither one of them picked this fight. But there's going to be a fight. There's going to be a battle. It's going to be serious. Because the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, and the other kings that they allied with had been subject to these other kings, well, one in particular, Keto Larimer, and uh, he was kind of the, the head honcho over that whole region. And that meant that he got to collect taxes from the other kings, who, of course, collected taxes from the people. Well, when these folks rebelled against him, he didn't just accept their withdrawal from his plan. He decided there's going to be a war. And so a war occurred, and Keter Larimer won and defeated the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and their allies. Okay. How does that involve Abram? Well, it doesn't. Except that Keter Larimer, as part of his victory tour, rounding up the goods rounded up Lot and his family and all his possessions and took them captive. If, by the way, you want to know how this works, just find out about what's happening right now between Russia and Ukraine. Okay? People are being treated as negotiating chips. And where the Russians go in and take an area, and now the Ukrainians look like they're going to maybe take that back, the Russians are saying, well, these people are ours. The Russians are pressing Ukrainians that they have taken to serve in the military fighting against Ukrainians. And some of the Ukrainians, as you might imagine, are not very enthusiastic about that. But, of course, one reason Russia is doing that is because 
The Russian people are not all that excited about serving in this war right now. How did you get into that? Because I want you to understand that what we're reading about here is a human dynamic that is very ancient and very modern day. Human nature doesn't change, okay? And so the nature of these conflicts ultimately don't change either. Well, so Lot gets taken prisoner and all his possessions. And somebody who escaped from the carnage brings word to Abram. And Abram said, well, he chose that area, okay? I mean, he's the one who wanted to live there. Everybody knows it's a bunch of bad folks. You hang out with people like that, bad things are likely to happen to you. Is that what he said? Maybe on the inside. That's not what he said. He said, we're going to have to develop a military so that we can fight back against the forces of evil. Um, When Abram heard this, verse 14, when he heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out, the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. 318 trained men. What does that mean? Well, I mean, these guys were into ballet, and uh, Abram had been working with them. They used to put on shows when he would have a big meal for all his servants. These 318 men would come in and pirouette and so forth. No, these guys were trained in warfare. Why would you want to have people on your team who are trained fighters? Because you live in a fallen world where violence has always been a part of the equation. How far back does the problem of wicked people using lethal violence, extend. Do you remember those two fellas, Cain and Abel? That far. And so what do you do? You say, I'm a pacifist. I do not believe in violence. And so I am not going to participate. Well, that's one approach. If you're ever being mugged in a parking lot, you might want to try that. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't believe in guns. Put that away. I've never known a case where that was very effective. So, Pastor Woody, you're saying that, you know, when Jesus talks about turning the other cheek and that kind of thing, that's just, we're not supposed to take that seriously? Oh, no, I take that very seriously. Matter of fact, I took that seriously even in high school. So that when I got slugged, I did not retaliate physically. Well, because you're afraid? No, when I was younger, I did retaliate physically on a few occasions. I didn't beat people up. I wasn't a bully. But in seventh grade, when a guy came up and shoved me away from the water fountain, and I'd just gotten to the water fountain, but he wanted to exert his dominance 
he was going to get a drink before I could. So when he did that, and I'm not recommending this, folks, I'm just describing there was a change in me. Because in seventh grade, I simply stepped on the toe of his shoe and pushed him back. And of course, if you can't move your foot, you can't stand when your body is in motion. Okay? So he found himself reclining on the concrete hallway floor. And I said, do you want to fight? And he said, no. And so we didn't. Okay? Because I'm not looking to fight. Not afraid to fight. When Howard Wentz was choking Richard Hudson in fourth grade, and Richard was turning blue and going, help, 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 I thought, I can't just sit here. We're the only three people in this room. The teacher is gone. All other students are gone. It's the three of us. I can't just let him destroy Richard Hudson with whom I'm still Facebook friends. <laughs> and so I, I walked up and I said, let him go, Howard. And Howard wouldn't let him go. And so I punched Howard in the solar plexus, which is the section right below the rib cage here, at the top of the abdomen. And it's, it's an area that you need to breathe. Okay, it's kind of what helps move your lungs like they're supposed to move to breathe. And I just hit him one punch in the solar plexus, which I had been trained to do, and suddenly Howard was the one having trouble breathing, no longer holding on to Richard. Richard was extremely appreciative, and uh, that was the end of that. I don't want to fight, but I will tell you something. If somebody is trying to hurt me, I'm not going to use violence to get back at them. But if somebody's trying to hurt you, I'll use whatever force is necessary in order to try and stop them, including putting myself at risk. There's a difference between refusing to turn the other cheek when you're the one being hurt and standing by and just watching when this person is molesting this person. Does that make sense? So, Abram didn't suddenly have to develop a military. He had one. That wasn't huge, but he had 318 trained men. Is that all the men he had? No, those are the trained men. Well, I mean, I, I, would, I would think you'd want to have, I mean, like just round up, pull in two more guys, have 320, that's kind of a better number. You don't want people that aren't trained doing this job. You understand? If the military in the United States thinks that we're going to have a better military by basing your involvement on diversity as opposed to fitness, expertise, the consequence will be devastating for the United States and all those other people around the world who depend upon the United States to help when there's a bully. 
Are you with me? Pastor, that's a long way from this passage. No, it's right in the passage. In Genesis 14, we see legitimate use for military force. It involves defense and rescue. Okay? So if somebody were attacking, let's say, here at the ranch, you'd, you'd be willing to not just call 911? Yeah, I'd be willing to not just call 911. Somebody needs to call 911 so that they can come with body bags. Pastor Wood, you're making me very uncomfortable. What I want you to understand is this. It is legitimate to use even lethal force to prevent bloodshed. Is that clear? It is legitimate to use even lethal force to prevent bloodshed. Somebody's stealing my car. I'm not going to use force. Okay? I'm going to say, I like that car. But if somebody's stealing my car and my child or grandchild is in there, now my children, if they stole a car with my child in there, they'd be in for a rude surprise. But, <laughs> but, but, but if they stole a child with my, uh, car with my grandchild in there, uh, I'm coming after them. And they're going to regret having touched that car. Why? Because I'm going to protect my grandchild. Is that clear? You with me? You understand? This isn't about saying, nobody's going to mess with my property. People have messed with my property. Early in this ministry, a guy stole some stuff from the ranch. He ended up going to prison, but not because I reported him to the police. He went to prison because he was involved in a major drug chain that had been involved in some lethal back and forth with other drug dealers. But I went to his house out in the middle of nowhere to tell him, man, I'm concerned about your soul. If you would steal from a children's home, you know you're on your way to hell. And he stood there with tears running down his face. I said, I'm not here to ask for my stuff back. I'm here because I'm concerned for you. See, people, even bad people, are more valuable than stuff. But if this person is beating up on this person, it's legitimate to step in and stop that. But you ought to know how. These were 318 trained men, not 300 trained men and 18 of their buddies who were like, well, I don't want to be left out. Understand? They were trained men, and they went after the people who had kidnapped Lot, and they utterly defeated them. Wow, that must have been some really cool training. Uh, it wasn't just the training. There's something else going on here. After the fact, King of Sodom is going to say, hey man, listen, just let us have the people back. You, you can have the stuff. I can see where a lot of people would say that to somebody who has just 
rescued lives with a band of 318 against an army of multiple armies. It's like, oh, you, you can have the stuff. We don't need the stuff. Thank you. Just, we'll just go home now. And Abram said, all right, just to remember, if you ever need a hand, we're the toughest army around. It's not what he said. He said, I have raised my hand to God and promised that when he gives the victory, I'm not going to take a thing from you. Abram wanted to make it abundantly clear that the victory came from the Lord and that he was depending on the Lord and loyal to the Lord and served the Lord. Is that very clear? If the U.S. military is focused on diversity, it's going to be devastating. And by the way, that's what's been happening in recent years. But if the U.S. military will say, no, America is number one. We're number one. We're number one. We're number one. Nobody messes with us. That's just as deadly. Because God hates pride. And when America is dependent on God, America has hope. But when America is dependent on itself, nobody messes with us. Eventually, God says, you're done. It's over. Pastor Wood, I'm getting a little nervous. You, you, I, you know, I come down here to worship the Lord, and you say all these things, and, and you know, some of them are encouraging, but, but you keep saying things that make me uncomfortable. Okay, let me see if I can just clarify. Wherever you live, anywhere on this planet, whatever generation you're a part of, if your hope is in something other than the Lord, you're doomed. Is that clear? There is no hope apart from him. If you live anywhere on this planet, whatever generation you're a part of, if your hope is in the Lord, you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. Because no matter what happens, whatever calamity may befall your country, your city, your family, your body, you're going to be fine if your hope is in the Lord. Now, your hope is supposed to be that his kingdom will come and his will will be done, not I am just trusting in the Lord that nothing unpleasant is going to happen to me. He didn't promise that. As a matter of fact, he promised that difficult things will happen to us. But that we don't have to be afraid because it's not the end of the story. 
So you don't have to be afraid because God's on the throne. Later in Genesis, we'll come to the story of Joseph. I reference it very often because it's a vital thing. Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. It turns out even the bad stuff that happens in our lives, God is able to turn and make into something beautiful. So, Genesis 14 shows a legitimate use of a military, and Romans 13 shows that in the New Covenant, that is still in place. Romans 13 tells us we're to submit to governing authorities because they are ordained by God. And I'm just going to pull out one phrase that describes what they do. They do not bear the sword in vain. That's what God the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to say at a time when they were living under Roman authority with a bunch of people that make our present administration look righteous. Okay? And by the way, there's nothing righteous about our present administration. Well, but, but if the government is good, then it's of God. Government is of God. Well, what if you got a bad government? Then God must not be very happy with you, America. What do we do? I know. Campaign for office. Feel free. But if you want to see a real positive change, repent. If my people who are called by my name my people, not everybody, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Seek my face. and Turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. Forgive their sin and heal their land. So the problem isn't just in Washington? No. No, the problem is in here, in the human heart. Uh, Romans 13 says that the governing authorities do not bear the sword in vain. What does that mean? Well, it means that it is God's will for soldiers to walk around with a sword strapped on their side so that people will see that shiny piece of metal and say, cool, <laughs> that is so cool. <laughs> I just think that's cool. No. What was the Roman sword used for? If somebody was doing something really bad, they would take their sword and they would slap them with the side of the sword, just boom. Never, never, the sword was not used to slap people. It was used to cut people usually to cut them to pieces, okay? Not just slice, but slice and dice. Stab, kill, lethal force on the part of the government is a legitimate thing according to the New Testament. 
I don't don't like that. I don't think it's supposed to be that way. I'll tell you how it's not supposed to be. Convicted killers, convicted killers should not be kept alive indefinitely at taxpayer expense. While taxes are used so that the military right now can provide abortions for Americans because the Supreme Court said that states didn't have to allow abortion. They didn't outlaw abortion. Supreme Court can't pass laws, which somebody told them that in 73. But the Supreme Court simply voted that the states don't have to allow abortion. And about half the states said, well, we're going to stop allowing so many abortions, and some of us are not going to allow any abortions. And that sent the demoniacs in D.C. I, I want to say it made them crazy, but they were already crazy. It, it, it put them into a rage. And so now the Biden administration is saying, we're going to use the military hospitals to provide abortions, whatever state you're in. So all those states that said, we're not going to have abortion in our state, Biden says, yes, you are. And it's going to be paid for with your tax dollars. Well, that's evil. Yes, it is. That's using lethal force to kill the innocent while refusing to use lethal force to execute the guilty. That is the kind of thing that happens when you have a culture that calls evil good and good evil. You say, well, I think the wrath of God is going to come on a culture like that. Read Romans 1. That is the wrath of God. Because of the evil in their hearts, determined to suppress the truth and unrighteousness, God gave them over to do all these evil things. Okay, I think I got it. Well, we're not done. Verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Did you hear that? Blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. There was a proclamation of the truth that Abram knew well, and that is God is the one who's in control. And the victory that Abram and his militia had was because God gave him the victory. And Abram gave him praise, and Abram responded by giving a tenth of everything to Melchizedek. Well, whose family was Melchizedek? No genealogy about Melchizedek in the Scriptures. Why is that important? Because he was a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 110, God promises 
that he's going to raise up Messiah who will be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Not a Levitical priest. Not part of the Aaronic priesthood. He will be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Because God is his father. Are you saying that Melchizedek was virgin born? No, what I'm saying is he was a foreshadowing of the great priest, our Lord Jesus Christ. And the book of Hebrews picks this up and gives us more on that. And we're not going there this morning. But when we study Hebrews, we will. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for loving us and for providing your word to teach us. We thank you that your word is true. And we thank you that even though ultimately the human condition has not changed since the time of Abram, you have not changed either. You are ever the same, always holy, righteous, and true. And your love is everlasting. We pray in Jesus' name that you would help us not to put our trust in men, not to put our trust in the military, not to put our trust in the financiers, the banks, but to put our trust in you, for you do not fail. Thank you for people who are willing to train and to be prepared in the event of a problem to defend others. Thank you for those who serve in the military as a way of serving you by serving their fellow citizens. We pray, Lord God, that your children across this country and around the world would put their trust completely in you and that your people would indeed repent of our sins, humbling ourselves, seeking your face, And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.